Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you are here celebrating with us this afternoon. By a show of applause, how many of you are excited about Christmas? Yeah, you guys aren't sure. How many of you are like still not ready for it to be here, but it's going to be here tomorrow, so it's coming anyways? Yeah, that, I think that's most people. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I feel. I'm a little bit excited, a little bit stressed, a little bit tired, to be honest. All of it. A few weeks ago, my sister shared a story with me that I think sums up the Christmas season perfectly. The first week of December, she went out with her husband David and their son Macon to cut down a Christmas tree. Now, this is a tradition that we actually grew up doing and, and as kids. And so uh, even though her husband grew up in a family that did the artificial tree, she convinced him, let's go cut down a tree. Let's start a brand new tradition for our young family. And so they drove out to a Christmas tree farm. They walked up and down the rows looking for the perfect tree. And when David finally found it, they cut it down and brought it back to the car, excited to bring it home and to set it up. When they got to their house, they did everything they could to make the moment perfect. There was, a, there was Christmas music filling the room. There was a fake Yule Log video on TV. I think Netflix has it. Knowing my sister, she probably made homemade cookies or homemade hot chocolate because if Pinterest was a person, it's my sister. Her, just imagine a Pottery Barn ad. Like that's what her house looks like. That's her life. As she took in the moment, my sister knew that this was going to be a Christmas tradition that they celebrated for years to come. But as David went to put the tree into the sand and push it up against the wall, he noticed a small bug crawling on the branches, and then another, and then he noticed one on the wall. And when he took a step back to try and figure out what was going on, he realized they weren't just bugs, they were spiders, and they were everywhere. Jennifer began to freak out as tiny spiders came crawling out of their perfect tree, ruining their perfect moment. David ran and grabbed a small vacuum. Jennifer threatened to burn the house to the ground because that's what you do when spiders infiltrate your Christmas tree and try to ruin your Christmas. And as David vacuumed the tree, yes, David vacuumed the tree, they eventually removed all the spiders and he turned to Jennifer and said, next year we're getting a fake tree. And I love this story partly because it involves my sister freaking out but mostly because I think that's what the Christmas season feels like. You head to Target to buy the perfect gift for your child only to be greeted by long lines and angry customers. You go to the ugly sweater party for work only to realize that everyone brought a significant other and you're riding solo. You travel to see family you haven't seen in years and you spend the majority of your time in traffic. I even heard a story this week of a friend of mine who celebrated Christmas last weekend with her family And when it was her turn to open up a gift from her mom, she pulled out a a beautiful picture frame that had a picture of a baby in it. And then my friend asked her mom, whose baby is this? To which her mom responded, it's yours. But it wasn't her baby. Her mom had found a picture on Facebook that she thought was her grandson, downloaded it, printed it out, put it in a beautiful frame, and then handed it to her for Christmas. And after a few minutes of arguing, her mom finally realized that it was, in fact, the wrong baby. This is Christmas. You want to give, a, give your daughter a thoughtful Christmas present? Wrong baby. You want to start new traditions? Spiders. Merry Christmas, everyone. You know, whether we like it or not, Christmas is a very stressful time of year with family and trips and presents and church and different things going on in the season. It can feel overwhelming. A few years ago, Psychology Today actually put out a list of several ways to deal with stress during the holidays. And here's what they suggested. 
Imagine yourself in a beautiful place. Put on rose-colored glasses. Eat real foods instead of empty calories, which also means to not enjoy holidays because the best part about the holidays is food. I know for me personally, like I eat like I'm going to hibernate after Christmas, so there's no way I could do this. The article said to prepare a list of ways to put yourself first. And the last thing it said was to put a stress emergency kit in your pocket. Now, hearing that, most of you are wondering if you can fit an entire bottle of wine in your pocket because that's the only stress emergency kit that you're interested in. And the problem with that list is it only gives you temporary ways to pretend like things are okay. But how long can you live with rose-colored glasses? How long can you imagine living at the beach? How long can you carry a bottle of wine around before it just gets weird? Now, these are temporary solutions to a year-round problem because life is stressful. Life is hard. Life isn't what we want it to be. And instead of faking it until we make it, we need something better. We need hope every single day. Tonight, we're finishing up a sermon series that we've been in through the month of December called Christmas Carols. And so each week, we've taken a popular Christmas carol, and we've learned the story behind the song and how it relates to God and his church. And then after the sermon, what we actually do is we sing it again. And our hope in that is that we have a fresh perspective and a renewed joy for the songs that we sing during this season. And so over the last three weeks, we've talked about the songs, O Come All Ye Faithful, Joy to the World, and I Heard the Bells. They're all the songs that we just sang a few moments ago. If you're interested in learning more about these songs, you can actually check us out on YouTube or podcast. Just search for Collective Church. But today we're talking about quite possibly the most famous Christmas carol of all time, O Holy Night. It's a song that you know and love. Many of you can sing it with your eyes closed, but do you know the true meaning behind the song? In 1847, Placide Capot was asked by a local pastor to write a poem for an upcoming Christmas Eve service. The pastor asked Placide to read the story of the birth of Jesus in Luke 2 and insert himself into that story. And so that's what he did. He imagined witnessing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. He imagined what it would have felt like to see the Son of God in a manger. He imagined what it would have looked like to see the sky the night that Jesus was born. He imagined what it would have sounded like to hear the angels singing. And through that inspiration, he wrote the song, Cantique de Noel, which would become A Holy Night. Now, moved by his own work, Capot decided that O Holy Night was not just a poem, but a song in need of a melody, so he turned to a friend for help. Initially, O Holy Night was wholeheartedly accepted by the church in France, and the song quickly found its way into various church services. But while the song's popularity was growing, Placide Capot actually walked away from the church and his faith in Jesus. And he would say partly because of this song. You see, Capot wrote a song based on the story of Jesus' birth, based on what he read in the Bible. He wrote a song about hope that Jesus would bring to the world. He wrote about Jesus' coming to bring peace. He wrote about oppression ceasing and chains being broken because the slave is our brother. He wrote that all people are loved. But when he took a step back, he saw the church in France doing the opposite. And so tragically, he walked away from God and his faith. Pair that with the fact that people began to find out that the composer was actually Jewish. And the song, which had quickly grown to be one of the most beloved Christmas songs in France, was quickly denounced by the Catholic Church and labeled as unfit for church services because of a total absence of the spirit of religion. Even though this song was banned, though, uh, by the church in France, the French people continued to sing it, and a decade later, it was brought to America. In 1855, John Sullivan Dwight, an American abolitionist, heard this French song and immediately knew that he needed to translate it into English. His hope was to get it out to the masses because America at the time was locked in the Civil War and he believed this song could bring hope in one of the darkest moments in our history. And that's the version that we actually sing today. 
Since the first rendition at a small Christmas mass in 1847, a holy night has been sung millions of times by churches in every single corner of the world. It's one of the most recorded and played spiritual songs ever. Total sales for the thousands of different versions of the carol are in the tens of millions. And this incredible work requested by a forgotten Paris priest written by a poet who would later split from the church giving soaring music by a Jewish composer has grown to become one of the most beautiful and inspirational pieces of music that we celebrate with every Christmas. 50 years after the song was written, on Christmas Eve in 1906, Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old professor in Pittsburgh, did something that many thought would never happen. Using a new type of generator, Fessenden spoke into a microphone, and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast through the airwaves. Shocked radio oper operators on ships and astonished wireless radio owners sat stunned as their normal coded impulses were interrupted by the professor reading the story of the birth of Jesus found in Luke 2. To the people who heard this broadcast, it was a miracle. After reading the story, Fessenden picked up his violin and he played A Holy Night. This song is the first song ever to be played on the radio. Legend says that teary-eyed sailors bobbing on the dark oceans were transfixed by the beautiful and inspiring melody as it played impossibly out of their wireless radios. You see, in this moment, Fessenden provided many with a small glimmer of hope during a time when hope can be hard to find. I know for me, after learning more about this story, I kind of found a newfound love for it. It's a song written by a skeptic and composed by an unbeliever. And because of this, I think this song, based on all the songs that we've talked about, has a realness that every single person here can relate to. It wasn't a pastor who was writing a song simply for a church to sing. It was a song that was written out of a desperation of hope. And one of the things that song teaches us is that it's okay to doubt. It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to be unsure. It's okay to long for hope. It's okay to sing and write and search for the hope that Jesus promises. And if you're being honest, this is why so many of you are here today. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you are longing for hope, and that's wonderful. You're in the right place because this church is full of people who feel the exact same way and full of people who used to feel that way. And for me personally, I think that's one of the reasons why this song is so beautiful. It just feels so real. A Holy Night has three verses and three separate choruses that are sung. And tonight what we're going to do is we're actually going to focus on a few pieces of the song because if we dissected the whole thing, we'd be here for many hours and none of us want that. Uh, in fact, many, one of the reasons why many of you love Collective is because church is an hour. And so that's what's going to happen tonight. And so verse one, it starts like this. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. And as I mentioned earlier, this song was written based on the account of Jesus' birth in Luke 2 in the Bible. And if you've been to church before, especially at Christmas, Luke's telling of the story is probably the one that you've heard. It's probably the one that you've read. But here's the backstory: An angel came to Mary, who was a virgin, and told her that she had found favor with God and was going to give birth to the Messiah, the one chosen by God to rescue the world. Then an angel came to Joseph, who was Mary's fiance, and told him the same thing and encouraged him to take Mary as his wife, not to leave her. And so they stay together, and Mary's pregnant, and this is what happens in Luke 2, starting in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their, ancestral, to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. 
She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This is a story of the birth of Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, humbly came to earth in the form of a child, but it changed the world forever. And that's what this song, O Holy Night, is all about. The first two verses set up the whole setting for the rest of what Capot writes. And this is what it says as he continues. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Now the word pining speaks to a longing that existed in the world, a longing for a savior. And until the night Jesus was born, the world was waiting, waiting for someone to come and rescue them from their sin and from their brokenness. You see, God had promised a savior would come, but up to this point in time, no one had heard from God in 400 years. And so you can just imagine how that felt hopeless to them because there was sin and brokenness in the world and they were desperate for a solution. And we feel that now, right? Like we understand that longing. We can all agree that we're pining or longing for something, for hope, for joy, for peace, for community, for a second chance, for a fresh start. But the major difference between the people who are longing for a savior to arrive and us is that we don't have to wait. Hope is here and it came in the form of a child. The birth of Jesus is the answer to the longing that we all have. That is where hope comes from. And because of that, our soul has worth. The Bible teaches us that we are created in the image of God and he calls us good. He calls you beloved. He calls you valuable. He calls you a conqueror. Your soul has worth. Do you feel that? Do you know that? John 3.16, which is possibly the most famous verse in the Bible, is one that's often quoted in relation to God's love for people. But the verse that follows is just as powerful. This is what it says in John 3.16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. If you have ever wondered if you have worth, if you matter, God believes that you are so valuable that he would do anything he could to be in a relationship with you. And that actually includes giving up his own son. And Jesus did that willingly because you see our sin creates a debt that we cannot pay. And sin means walking out of alignment with what God wants for us in our life. And when we sin, what it does, it moves us further away from God and we can't be reconnected unless someone does that for us. And that's what Jesus did. He came to redeem us, to buy us back, to pay the price. And that's what Jesus came to earth to do. Jesus says you are valuable. You're more valuable than even you understand. And because of that, he would give up everything just to be in a relationship with you. And I know what many of you are thinking when you hear that. You're thinking that might be true for somebody else, but not for me. You think I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. I'm too far from God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. But John 3, 16 and 17 came straight from Jesus. He isn't quoting someone else. He's saying these words knowing full well that in a few years he would give up his own life to back up the words he just said. He says you're worth it. That there's nothing that you have done that will keep him from loving you. There's nothing you can do that will make him give up on you. And that's called grace. And that's what Jesus offers to every single person. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. It's a free gift and it's from God. Your soul has worth. Do you feel that? Verse one of the song then closes with these words. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I think if there's a word that most accurately describes our world today, it's weary. There's so much anxiety. 
Relationships are broken. Our friends are dealing with cancer. Families are struggling. It's almost like we're struggling just to keep our heads above water. I think so many of us can relate to that feeling of being weary. But what I love about this song and the story in Luke is that in the chaos of the night Jesus was born, there's a thrill of hope. Hope that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the Messiah. And on that holy night, the world would change forever. And I hope if there's a weary world in you, you would experience a thrill of hope. Because even in the chaos of this night or the chaos of the world that's going on around you right now, there's a new and glorious morn that should tell you that there is hope. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Jesus came to bring you rest. The birth of Jesus brings a thrill of hope in a dark and weary world. In January, we're actually starting a brand new series called Musicology, and we're going to actually use music to illustrate the teachings of Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is this idea of rest. And so if you are here and you're saying you feel weary or you feel burdened, you should come back and check it out because we're going to talk about what Jesus came to offer to get us out of that place and give us peace and give us rest and give us hope. In the Old Testament of the Bible, the stuff before Jesus, there's a prophet named Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is weary. He's broken, he's in pain because his world is falling apart around him, literally and metaphorically. And so Jeremiah actually says this in Lamentations 3. He says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. My wife and I, and we have two kids. Elise is three and a half years old and Harper is three months old. And both of them have this uncanny ability to sleep for five minutes and then wake up like they're on speed. It's insane. It messes with us mentally all the time. And when Elise was little, she had trouble sleeping. So we'd constantly like walk around and we'd bounce her all the time. And eventually she'd fall asleep. And so we weren't able to keep holding her because we had stuff to do around the house or maybe physically we couldn't take it anymore. And so we try to gently put her into her crib. And if you've ever done that before, it feels a lot like disarming a bomb because any false move, it explodes, it's all over. And we finally get her into the crib. She would sleep for a, a few minutes, just a, like two or three minutes, and then wake up completely refreshed like she slept through the night. It was insane. It was terrible. She does it that, that way today as well. Both of our kids do. It doesn't matter how tired they are before bed. It doesn't matter how hard a day we've had. It doesn't matter at all because as soon as our head hits that pillow, even if it's just for a few moments, they wake up and it's a reset for her and that same joy and that same hope gets brought back into it, even if it's been five minutes. I feel like that's what Jeremiah is talking about in Lamentations. He's recognizing that life isn't easy. He's not pretending like there is no pain. He's not pretending like there is no brokenness. He's recognizing this is hard. He calls it an awful time. It's a time he will never forget, but he wants to, who wishes every single day he could forget what was going on in his life. But he also knows a new morning is coming that he can begin afresh each day. And so if you are weary, you can rejoice because a new day is coming. If you are hopeless, you can rejoice because hope is here. If you are beat down, you can rejoice because the sun will rise again. Now, depending on where you are today, when it comes to your relationship with God, the message of hope that Jesus brought will impact you differently. For some of you, you aren't sure hope is real, so you're wrestling with this idea. You aren't even sure you believe in Jesus or even if any of this makes sense, and that's okay. Keep wrestling, keep digging, keep searching. 
But for the people here that have that hope, that have put their faith in Jesus, they've accepted that grace that he gives, hope can't just stay with us. It can't be our best kept secret. You see, Jesus brings hope into a weary world. He brings hope of a new day. He brings hope that all things can be made new. He brings hope that forgiveness can be received, that grace is real, that second chances are real. He brings hope that our life isn't just about pain and brokenness. And because of that, if you do follow Jesus, our response to that hope is to bring it to the world. It's to share that hope. Skipping ahead in the song, this is what Capot writes about in verse three. It's the response to the hope that Jesus brought. This is what he says in verse three. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. And I don't know about you, but I wanna live in a world that looks like that. I wanna live in a world full of hope. I wanna live in a world full of love and peace. I wanna live in a world where oppression ceases and that's what God wants for us as well. This is why Jesus teaches us that the greatest commandment is love God and the second one, which is just like it, is to love people. This is why Jesus teaches us to treat other people the way we want to be treated. This is why Jesus teaches us that it doesn't matter what you look like, what you sound like, where you're from, how you dress, he came to give life to all people, to rescue all people. And our response to that is to bring hope to a weary world. On Christmas Eve in 1870, uh, during the Franco-Prussian War, an intense battle was taking place between the French and German soldiers. And suddenly a French soldier jumped from the trenches, making himself vulnerable to the enemy's fire. And before either side could figure out what to do, he actually began to sing the chorus of O Holy Night. Each side stood frozen as he sang about the birth of the Messiah, as he sang about hope. As the last chords of his solo faded into the night, a German soldier emerged from his hideout and began singing a song called From Heaven Above to Earth I Come, which was popular in Germany at the time. Both sides apparently then joined together and sang an Austrian carol, and the fighting ceased for 24 hours. Those soldiers obviously had some differences between them, and yet they were able to lay those differences aside for one night in order to celebrate something they had in common, which was Christ and his birth. But even though it was only for 24 hours, hope in a weary world as shown through a moment of peace between enemies. And so I don't know what weariness you have in your life, a marriage that's falling apart, another Christmas alone, an addiction that can't seem to be broken, mental health struggles that your friends and families don't seem to understand. I think you can just turn on and off the loss of a loved one. I have no idea. But I do know that that a new morning is coming, that your faith in Jesus will bring you a thrill of hope, hope that your marriage can be reconciled, hope that you're not meant to be alone, hope that you can keep fighting and peace does exist, hope that even though there's trouble in this world, Jesus came to overcome because on one holy night a few thousand years ago, hope entered the world. And from that moment, your soul had worth. And that's what this season's all about. In a few days, Christmas will be over and our lives will go back to normal. It'll still be cold. It'll still be dark before 5 p.m., Work will still be hard. Your relationships will still bring pain. Christmas doesn't make those things go away, but the hope that Jesus brings can make it tolerable. The hope of a new day is real. And I know for us at Collective, we want nothing more than for you to experience that. And if you want that, or if you want to learn more about that, if you want to see how that plays out in the lives of other people, not just me saying it from stage, but the people that are a part of this, don't let Christmas be the only service at Collective that you attend. You need to come back because in one night with lights and hot chocolate and Christmas carols, it can all sound too good to be true, but it isn't. Because on the night that Jesus was born, 
An angel appeared to the shepherds who were tending their flock in a field just out of Beth- outside of Bethlehem. And this is what he said. In Luke 2, starting in verse 10, the angel said this, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. The birth of Jesus brings good news that will cause great joy for all people. He was sent here to live a perfect life and then give it up on a cross for you. And God wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with you. He wants your weariness. He wants your hopelessness. He wants your brokenness. He wants it all. The question is, will you let him have it? For us, Christmas is a reminder of this, that we can trade all of our weariness and all of our hopelessness and all of our brokenness and all of our pain for a thrill of hope that Jesus' birth came to bring. Let's pray. God, Thank you for hope. God, so many of us just feel weary. We feel beat down. We feel broken. God, this season brings us conflict of joy and pain at the same time. But God, this story and this song are a reminder that you came to bring a thrill of hope to a weary world. And God, I just pray for those people tonight that feel that weariness, that feel that burden, that feel that hopelessness, that God, they could recognize that hope doesn't come from anything else. It doesn't come from gifts, lights, any of those things, but it comes from you. God, I just pray as a group of people, um, we can find our hope in you and then bring that to the world. God, that we don't just keep it here, just celebrate it on Christmas Eve, but God, it's something that we bring to every single person in our life because we're not the only ones that feel this way. And God, thank you for the fact that this hope comes from the fact that you would give up your life for us because you, you believe we have worth because you give our soul value. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.